Today's guest is Annie Evans, the Director of Education and Outreach at New American History. As Director of Education and Outreach, Annie is most at home engaging with teachers and students both in and outside of the classroom, where she has spent over half her life teaching history, civics, and geography. Exploring new landscapes, historic sites, or museums is her happy place, and she hopes New American History will inspire the next generation of educators, public historians, and community activists. We hope you enjoy today's episode, and if you want to connect with Annie, New American History, or even be a guest on this podcast, please look at the link in our show notes. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Content to Classroom. I am here today with Annie Evans. Annie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Annie is joining us from New American History, and we are so excited to dive into everything that you all do at this amazing organization. But before we get into that, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do at New American History? I would love to. So I was a classroom social studies teacher at the secondary level for a couple of decades. And then I moved to, uh, that was in Richmond. Then I moved to Charlottesville. And uh, for 10 years, I was the K-12 social studies coordinator, which was a delightful role for me. I worked with all the social studies teachers, librarians, and world language teachers. They were all kind of folded into that uh, that label. And it was a wonderful experience for me to get to work uh, vertically and see kind of how social studies concepts um, and civic learning, you know, start at the very beginning of the building blocks with the littles and then all the way up through seniors in high school and, and first time voters. So I really loved that role. And then I had an occasion to meet uh, Dr. Ed Ayers, who uh, had recently stepped down as the president at University of Richmond. Of course, I knew Dr. Ayers' work. Every history teacher does. We'd read his books. We'd probably all seen him lecture and talk at conferences, but um, didn't wasn't really acquainted with him. And then a colleague at UVA um, connected us. Uh, what started off as just me taking two or three of the GIS maps that he had had created at the U of R Digital Scholarship Lab, uh, kind of bring them to life in the form of some learning resources for a keynote he was giving, eventually ended up turning into a full-time job working with him and his team. So now I'm at the University of Richmond. I work very closely with the team at the Digital Scholarship Lab and with Dr. Ayers. Uh, and what we have tried to do is put together a variety of free OER tools and resources that we can push out across the country. Our goal is that every K-12 and really K-16 educator will find access to these tools and resources, um, learn how to use them, embed them into their courses to enhance the teaching and learning of history and geography and civics. And so until every school in the United States is using these tools and resources, we will not feel that our work is done. And outside, oh, sorry. <laughs> and, and then, you know, my other great passion is geography education. And so um, all that time that I was teaching in the classroom, I was a member of an organization here in Virginia called the Virginia Geographic Alliance, which is had been part of a network of state alliances all across the country. Um, and then when I moved to Charlottesville at that time, the original coordinators were stepping down. They'd been doing it for a couple of decades uh, and they had since retired at their university positions. And so myself and a colleague at Longwood took over as the coordinators, the co-coordinators of the Geographic Alliance. 
And since then, um, we have transitioned in another coordinator uh, at ODU. So we have K-16 educators, teachers, and geography professors, a whole network across the state of Virginia that works very similar to New American History um, to make sure that we have great geographic content um, that is available to teachers. So it's it's been a nice um, way to combine what used to be kind of my side thing with my day job. So it's, it's been a great um, ability to be able to merge those two worlds. Dang, Annie, you are busy. And also, I have to say, your elevator pitch is excellent. I would hire you immediately. <laughs> well, I love um, what I do, and that's important. I mean, I really believe in this work, and I know as a classroom teacher how hard we as history educators work. And I know that we don't have time to create things and hunt things down and vet them and make them. So be, being able to work on these learning resources and then push them out to everyone, knowing that, you know, why should we all be spending all these hours working on these things when one of us can do it? And, you know, we have lots of teachers that work with us in this work. I have teachers that come and work, work on curriculum with us. Uh, that give us feedback, let us pilot all of these in their classrooms before we push them out onto our site. Um, and so it really is a group effort, but I think it's filling an important need, especially during the pandemic when all of a sudden people need digital resources. So oh, for sure. I mean, you are doing the Lord's work for sure out there um, and the social studies Lord's work, I mean, and uh, we appreciate you so much. And I just, for maybe our listeners who might be less familiar with new American history, could you just tell us, you know, exactly what is the organization and what do you all do there? Sure. So uh, as I mentioned, this was sort of all the brainchild of Dr. Ed Ayers and we have an incredible small but mighty team. So um, the Digital Scholarship Lab was first started when Ed was still at U of R as the president. And so uh, they, they have an incredible team of three who make these great digital maps. They are amazing works of digital scholarship. They are combining data and data sets and GIS shape files but then adding this beautiful design layer on top of them. So they don't really look like the maps that we pull up on Google or ArcGIS, but that is the foundation block behind them. But then they're able to help kids visualize that data in really unique and interesting ways that really engage students uh, and adults. And so that's kind of the, the first part. And then shortly after he stepped down, he created Bunk. And Bunk is to me, the heart and soul of new American history. Bunk is a real-time curation of everything we can find out there on the web, uh, whether it be journalism, magazines, newspaper articles, uh, podcasts, all of our digital maps are in there and other people's digital maps are in there. Um, any types of visualizations or interesting content on the web about American history. We have a team of students who work with our uh, editor and our archivist, and they are adding this content into Bunk, which is behind the scenes, there's an algorithm and a very elaborate tagging system that shows students how everything that's ever happened in American history is related to everything else. And you never could have done that or done it very easily, paper, pencil. But by putting all of this content into a, a digital database, you can tag it and mix it and 
you never see the same thing, um, the exact same combination twice, because every time we add something in new, like articles were added in today, we were giving a presentation earlier today. And while we were presenting the screen changed in front of the audience, right? Because some student at U of R was doing his or her job and they added new content in. And so it mixes it in and makes all the connections, you know, new connections. So you can see an article and go back to it three months later and that article is gonna change. But what I love about it is we can put all the maps in there. We can put all the podcasts in there. We can put um, episodes of the PBS show that Dr. Ayers hosted called The Future of America's Past. All of those episodes are in there and then they all get tagged and linked to everything else. So that really is the heart of it. My job is to take all of those tools, the podcasts, the videos, the bunk content, all the connections in bunk and the maps and write and develop learning resources that we can then push out. Teachers can use them in class for face-to-face -face, or as we saw during the pandemic, teachers can have kids work on them independently. They can work on them in a total virtual environment or kids can sit you know, together in teams or small groups and work together, but work through it all. Um, it's all free that's the best part everything that we make we push out there there's no login there's no password uh it's just there for teachers to use and if you don't like the way that i put it together we also give it to you as a google doc so you can take it down break it apart and remix it and make it your own is there you know a specific topic that you all or focus on or time periods that you focus on or is it kind of just anything and everything american history well, it's all of the above. So specifically, we really want on, on the website, we we have a phrase on there that says making visible what was previously invisible about our shared American history, our shared American story. And I think that that is really was the beginning. The idea, I think, was how can we tell these untold stories that are typically not taught in textbooks? They have not traditionally always been included in the quote unquote official curriculum from state to state. But these are the stories that um, involve so many people that have been left out of, of history instruction. Ed has uh, this quote he uses frequently. He says he wants every seventh grade girl sitting in an American history class to see themselves in the story of America. And I think every one of us as teachers wants that for every one of our students, whether they be a kindergartner or a seventh grader, or a high school student. Everyone should see that their family and their story is just as much a part of America as everyone else. And it shouldn't just be the same seven or, old, or eight people that are always in the same textbooks or that we tease out and throw into state standards and we keep studying the same seven or eight people and events and battles and kids grow up thinking that's it. That's all history is, is memorizing these seven people and these five battles and these 10 facts and a list of dates and states and capitals and we're good giving my high school diploma. But that is not history and that's not good instruction. And so we're trying to provide tools and a different way of seeing it and sharing those untold narratives so that everyone's story is included. And then I think that's so important as we see America you know, is changing and one of our maps is uh, talks about uh, immigration and it shows all of the foreign born citizens from the 1850s all the way up through the last census. And it shows how the, the face of America or the faces of Americans have changed over time. And so why haven't our history books and why hasn't our curriculum changed to reflect that? And that's what we're trying to do with New American History. 
Yeah, I think that's such an important point because, you know, with when you look at the primary sources that we have access to throughout history, particularly prior to the 20th century um, in America, you're looking at largely the the written work of white men, you know, um, and maybe some educated white women as well. Um, and then occasionally uh, others sort of rise uh, to the narrative as well, but that's pretty much it exclusively, you know? And I think what the collection of data brings to the study of history is the story of those who did not have access to have the, their written words like cataloged like throughout history. And so it's amazing, you're kind of bringing the voice and story to those people that didn't have the opportunity to record their own story. So. Absolutely, and there are, there are narratives and there are oral histories that have been uh, uncovered. And so trying to pull as many of those into the type of work that we're doing. One of the ways that we've done that, we've partnered with our local PBS station, uh, VPM, which serves Central Virginia, and they have developed a podcast that Dr. Ayers is the executive producer on, and it's called Seizing Freedom. And so we've got, you know, 12 years of backstory episodes, which every one of those, we've got segments of those split up into smaller chunks so teachers can use them. And now we're working with the folks at Seizing Freedom and they are looking at um, the, the stories of people from emancipation up through reconstruction through their own voices. So what they've done is through a lot of research, they have pulled these stories out and hired voice actors to portray the voices of the people who have not typically been included in the narratives of, of most US history courses. And so these are incredible. It's like radio theater. And so we also are writing learning resources to go with that are embedding some of those episodes into just like we embed the backstory episodes and bunk and all the other content. So that's another thing is we collaborate with a lot of other folks and their work. We collaborate with Retro Report, which is also on PBS. We've done a number of workshops, um, professional learning with them. We have another one coming up in April on immigration. So we'll be using some of our maps, some of their video. Um, we've been developing learning resources. Uh, we did one on gerrymandering. We have a map of all the House of Representative elections from 1850 up to present. And they had a great series on gerrymandering. And so we teamed up and did that and developed learning resources. Uh, the Smithsonian's been launching an initiative the last couple of years called the Civic Season, trying to get kids out into their communities and engaging with history, either digitally or in person or by going to historic sites or museums. So we developed some learning resources around that. So it's, it's wonderful that we can use our own tools, but we can also go out and find other great tools that other people are embracing um, with the field of digital scholarship. And we can pull those tools into our work and maybe they don't have an Annie to write the learning resources for their organization. Or in the case of Retro Report, they have this great guy, David Olson, but we've teamed up because two heads are better than one, right? And so I love collaborating with other people who are engaging in this same work. And so it's important to me that it's not just my voice, that we have other teachers working on these resources with me because they have different lived in, uh, experiences and different teaching experiences. It's important that we're looking at all of the rich digital scholarship that's been you know, put out there in the last few decades. 
Um, you know, in some cases, it's still a new field. It doesn't maybe get the same attention that a, a, a more formal dissertation work would get. But to me, the people who are working on this, you're not only doing the research that someone would be doing on a formal dissertation, but then you have to find a way to visualize that data and make it interesting and add this rich technology layer on it that makes it so engaging for students kindergarten up through college. And I just find that so fascinating. I'm just very excited, as you can tell by my voice, to be able to be engaged in this work because I, I'm an early adopter of technology. Um, I used Dr. Ayers Valley, the shadow project when it first came out back in the day when it was on CD-ROM and I only had five computers and the kids would fight over them, right? Like as soon as they got their work done, they'd say, can I go in the back and work on Valley of the Shadow? And we had these terribly old computers in the back of the room, but they were so fascinated. And it was just stories and journals and diaries and newspapers and accounts of battles. And if I had said, read that chapter and answer those questions, they would have rolled their eyes. But I, when I said, you can look at anything you want in the Valley of the Shadow. What are you curious about? What do you want to know more about? And just let them go. They read 10 times more. They learned 10 times more. And I never gave them a multiple choice test on it, right? But they were definitely learning because it meant something to them. They followed these people's stories. Oh, absolutely. I think any time that you can personalize um, history for students, it's going to make it so much more poignant to them and make history just seem more real. And I think one of the things that you just said is also so important is just, you know, using these these resources that you all have provided to really inspire curiosity and exploration, because that's so hard to try to teach kids to be curious because it's really something that has to come from within them. But if you can give them opportunities to be curious, then that can be really powerful and a really good use of classroom time. I 100% agree. And, and with my geography brain side of my brain, um, you know, Nat Geo has put out some wonderful resources on something that they call the geo inquiry process. Right, And so it's very similar to, we use the five E's inquiry model with our learning resources. All of these inquiry models have one thing in common and it is they are sparked by students being curious and students asking their own questions. Not us, the adults, writing questions and then the kids waste time regurgitating what we told them yesterday to answer the questions, right? They are picking something they're curious about, they're going out and exploring it, they're researching it, they're collecting data, they're visualizing that data, whether it be a map or creating an infographic. So if you notice in our learning resources, they almost always have something that they have to make or create. They're not just consumers of knowledge, they become producers of content. Um, and that to me is why I think GIS has always been so appealing to me. Um, and I, I really, I still to this day can understand why every school in the United States does not take advantage um, of the free software that every school can have. Every K-12 school can get their own free uh, license to use the ArcGIS online software and to create beautiful story maps similar to some of the ones that our Digital Scholars Lab have, have used. We've embraced that technology in our work. Um, there are a few high schools in Virginia and there are a few across the country that are doing this work that do offer that course. But I think every, every school should offer that course because kids can translate that technical skill. Once they learn how to do it, they can apply it to history, science, language arts, geography, 
civics, government, almost anything that they are studying, that is a, a tool that has become so much more user-friendly. And yet there still are a lot of schools that don't even know what I'm talking about. When I share these maps with them and I explain to them how they were made behind the scenes, they are just in awe. And they, they said, you know, I've shown them story maps that students have made and they just don't understand. Like kids can make these. I'm like, yes. And teachers, you can make them better yet. Let the kids show you how to make them. Let them be the teacher for once. Uh, so I, I really cannot stress enough how I think that that technology should become something in every teacher's toolkit. I'm curious what you would say, you know, if a teacher is totally new to new American history and they come to your website, where would you suggest that they start when they reach your site? So if you're a K-12 teacher, and I, and I will say we most of our work is geared four through, it started off four through 12. Um, and then we sort of morphed into this, Ed likes to call it grades 10 through 14, because we're really, you know, we're looking at these kids that are halfway through high school and in the beginning of their college career, because that's right where you, you either rope them in and they love history or you potentially lose them, right? So we've been partnering with some organizations who've done research that the two courses at the first and second year college level that most people are not successful in are algebra and US history. And if they don't pass those two courses in their first year, some of them don't continue in college. The, the dropout rate is directly related to success in those two courses. We're not great at algebra, but we are really good at history, right? So we are partnering with groups like the Gardner Institute and the American Historical Association and others to try and see how we can build those bridges, right? I think Dr. Ayers creating New American History is definitely making a dent in the K-12 piece. And then I think having the academically trained historians and groups like that reaching down and working with us to build that bridge. And they're really listening to us. And now professors are saying, I never would have thought to use your map that way, but then I saw how you did it in that high school lesson. I changed it a little bit to make it more rigorous for my freshman or sophomore course at the university. Uh, so I think if you've never looked at anything before, um, I'd say start with a learning resource, pick it apart. If, if it's geared towards a younger grade, how would you ramp it up for the higher grade? If you're teaching you know, juniors, seniors, or college, I would say, how could you adapt it down you know, for younger grade? Um, and then go back and look at the individual pieces. The way I see it, it's more like a playlist. If you only have 10 or 15 minutes, just pick one of the activities, right? If you've got 30 or 40 minutes, great, pick a couple. If you've got one day, pick two or three. If you've got a week, or if your kids are just really curious, say, hey, we only have time in class to do these two or three activities, but there's a couple more, you're free to do them on your own. I've had kids contact me and say, my teacher showed this to us, but she said she didn't have time. So I did it on my own and here's what I made, right? And we gave that kid a shout out in our newsletter. And it's, to me, I was that kid. I would find things on my own and I would want to learn more about them. And I was lucky I had a few teachers along the way who inspired me to be curious about history and geography and let me run with those things that I was curious about. But I also had teachers that said, mm, that's not on the test. We don't have time for that. And it makes me sad when I hear students saying that, you know, that they're in a class and that they, the teacher says, no, we can't talk about that now. It's not on the test. That should never be the answer. And I'm excited about this shift we're seeing in education, moving away from these high stakes, multiple choice tests towards 
project-based learning and authentic performance assessments. I feel like Virginia has been leading the way. I hope that we'll be able to continue to lead the way in that work, but many other states are far ahead of us in that work. So again, we've got these opportunities um, to build these bridges, not just through what we're teaching and how we're teaching it, but how we're assessing it. And what message are we saying to kids? What value are we placing when we tell them it's not on the test? We're saying what you're curious about isn't important and what we as adults think you should know is more important. And to me, that should never be the answer. I'm wondering if you have a favorite resource or tool. I know you mentioned Bunk, but maybe something a little bit more specific that you like um, or something that you've even created yourself um, at New American History that everyone can find uh, and maybe access. Yeah, it's so hard because, you know, I, I, you've known me for a while, Sam, you know how much I love maps. So it'd be so easy to say, oh, you know, mapping inequality, because that's the map that everyone has seen. It's, you know, been all over the news, all over the world. It's our most downloaded resource. Or it'd be easy to say bunk, because literally everything we make and do is somehow ingested into bunk. But I will say... Um, one of the episodes of the Future of America's Past, and the Future of America's Past, there are two and a half seasons worth of episodes. There are eight half-hour episodes. This was a show that Dr. Ayers hosted on PBS um, for a couple of years. When the pandemic hit, they weren't able to go out, unfortunately, and film the third season, so they made two what they called pandemic shorts. And we developed learning resources, and those are all on there. One of those learning resources takes place at the Moton School and it features Barbara Johns and the student walkouts. And I, I, I love all of the episodes of the show. Um, they're all very different, you know, but part of it, I guess, is because it takes place here in Virginia. I have family who lived in Farmville. I've been to Farmville. I've been to the Moton Museum. I work really closely with the talented folks who are interpreting and bring that story to life and keeping it, you know, but having um, the pleasure of working not just with the Moton folks and not just with um, Lance Warren and Hannah Ayers produced and directed and filmed the episodes in the series. I get to work with the filmmakers, but also just digging into Barbara John's life and the lives of the other students who were with her. And I think in working on those learning resources and then sharing them with students, I've shared them with fourth graders, I've shared them with eighth graders, and I've shared them with high school students. Kids are so inspired by her story. And they're always amazed when I tell them that the Moton School case was rolled into the Brown versus Board decision. But most people only think about Linda Brown, right? They only know that one story when they learn about the Brown versus Board. We had more plaintiffs in Prince Edward County than all of the other plaintiffs. There were several court cases folded into that, right? But we, we only hear about Linda Brown because that's what you have to memorize on the test, right? But the rich stories of, there are still people living in Farmville who were part of that student walkout. They probably won't be with us much longer because you know that this happened um, in the 1950s. And so those folks aren't gonna be around forever, but they have captured their stories we have their stories on video. There's a fascinating segment with Kristen Green who wrote a book about the segregationist academy that was opened in Farmville where she was researching the book and the history of the student walkout and the history of segregated schools. And in her research, she found her own family members were a part of developing the segregationist academy. So then she had this whole internal dialogue which she talks to Ed about like, do I bury that or do I, 
put my family's own part in this. My family played a part in this and not a good part. And she had some really tough conversations with family members and they weren't happy that she was putting that all out there. But I think when students hear the voices of the other students who were with Barbara Johns, because she's not with us anymore. Um, and then what was really amazing was shortly after that, um, when our previous governor decided to remove the statue of Robert E. Lee in Statuary Hall at the United States Capitol, then Virginia had to select, you know, every state gets two, right? We have George Washington, and for many years, it's been Robert E. Lee. Once the Lee statue at the U.S. Capitol was removed, then they were tasked with figuring out who would replace that statue. And Dr. Ayers was actually on that commission, and we were talking about it, and they had lots of good suggestions. You know, people were writing in, they were writing letters, they had listening sessions. And I said to him one day, I said, what if we let kids decide? Like, couldn't we get VDOE to push something out to principals? Because we didn't have a lot of turnaround time, just encouraging kids to nominate. And they, they got tons of letters. Kids were so excited that somebody actually cared what they thought. And kids wrote letters. And I will say, it came very close. Ona Judge, who was an enslaved young woman who ran away from George Washington. Some kids wanted to put her in there. Uh, and one, one person wrote a letter that said, I think it would be very powerful that the one enslaved person that George Washington spent his whole life trying to recapture but never did would now be standing next to him. And I thought, oh gosh, I'm about to change my vote. But then so many kids wrote these powerful letters about Barbara Johns and, and how a young girl could really make a difference in the world. And some kids were comparing her to Anne Frank or Greta Thunberg, and they were making these powerful connections. It was like seeing Bunk in live action and they did indeed select Barbara Johns. So there is a statue in the works. If you've ever been to the Moton Museum, there's a portrait that Robert Shuttley did. It's in our learning resource. He gave me permission to reproduce it. He um, has a portrait of her in her graduation cap and gown and her family has asked, could they please use that portrait as the basis for the statue? And I, I almost cried when, I, when Dr. Ayers told me that. And the thing that was so beautiful was the, the artist, Robert Shutterly, he did a portrait of Ziana Bryan, who was a student of mine in Charlottesville, who her work um, as a 10th grader, it started as a 10th grader writing letters asking the mayor of Charlottesville to take down the Lee and Stonewall Jackson statue. Um, led to a, a protest movement in Charlottesville and unfortunately ended up part of the Unite the Right rally, the pushback and the harm and the trauma that our city experienced. But Zion is now in her middle of her college years. She is still leading this work as a young woman. And I, so Robert Shelley did a portrait of Ziana and they did a... Um, a gallery opening with Zionist portraits side by side with Barbara Johns, right? So the next generation of leaders, people like Zy Bryant are featured right alongside people like Barbara Johns and kids will be so inspired when they hear those stories. So that I think is my favorite, but there's so many more, but that one is one that just being, being a Virginian and working with young people and seeing how young people, if we listen to them, if we stop talking and listen to them and really listen, they have great ideas and they will be the future leaders. So those are the stories that we want to reveal and they're not typically in the textbooks. I think that 
is just such a beautiful place to end on. Um, that is just, a little bit teary. <laughs> I know, me too. Um, I can't wait to see that statue. Um, do you know when it'll be revealed? I know that they're in the, the process now of working with a designer or a sculptor. Um, so you, as, soon as, as soon as it goes up, I will be adding it to our learning resource for okay. sure. That's Very the other thing. Exciting. We're constantly updating our learning resources. So as new scholarship comes along, um, as teachers give me feedback, like we pilot all this stuff, but then once it's pushed out there for everybody, we get great feedback. And we are always going in and changing things up and trying to make them better based on teacher and student feedback. So um, just like Bunk, it, you might see something on the there one time, but you know the homepage is constantly changing, but you can always find that resource if you dig a little deeper. If you like the way that we have the learning resource right now, pull that Google Doc down and save it as your own because every time I update it, I think it makes it better, but you might like the old version better. I don't know. Well, that's good advice. And I'll be sure to link um, all of the resources that you mentioned in today's episode in our show notes as well. Um, are there any other sort of uh, upcoming projects or events that you want to mention? I did hear a rumor that you are hosting SS Chat uh next monday i believe um, i think i'm not hosting it i we have hosted several editions of ss chat i know that i think our friend david from retro report is hosting, yeah going to be talking about our upcoming workshop that we're doing with retro report and migration reimagine which i love um that team as well and we've done some work with them so yeah we're teaming up to do a, a workshop in april um, and we'll give you the link to, to push out to folks. Um, that one's coming up pretty quickly in mid-April. This week, we're gonna be at the National Council for History Education virtual conference. Uh, and we are gonna be at the Organization of American Historians in Boston towards the end of the month. Um, but the, the great thing is I can zoom into your classroom. I can pilot lessons with your students, kind of model for you how they work, or I can do professional learning either through Zoom or if you're in Virginia, I can travel and work with your PLC. I've done division-wide, I've done smaller group. Um, I love to help with them because it's a great way for me to connect with the people in the classroom that are using our tools. And like I said, we really take that feedback to heart. So. Part of my job is making new resources, but part of it's also translating them and helping teachers learn how to use the maps, learn how to use Bunk. Um, we trust teachers, right? Teachers know best. You know your kids better than anyone. Feel free to remix or, or reuse or just use pieces of our work or tools. Make, make them your own, um, but let us know how you're using them because you know we want to showcase the great work of all the teachers across Virginia and across the country. Yeah. And what's the best way for teachers to reach out to you if they want to show you some of the stuff they've done? So we're on all the social media. I, I think we're most actively on Twitter, but we also have a Facebook group, which is just for teachers. So I actually vet the people who, who want to join. I make sure that they are actually connected somehow to education. That way it's a safe space where you can feel comfortable asking questions or reaching out for resources but very active on Twitter at New American Hist. And then my um, Twitter handle is mapmaker with an eight in the middle. Um, and so you can always find me that way. You can email me. My email is on the website um, and you can include it in the show notes as well. I'm pretty easy to find. Like if you're a history teacher in Virginia, I think you could probably easily find me if you ask one or two other people that'd be like, oh yeah, I have her number. Or, oh yeah, I know her, or, you know, so. Um, I try really hard to make sure I'm getting out there into all the history organizations and museum groups. Um, 
to, to make sure that they're all aware of this work. But, you know, until everybody, like I said, until everybody's using these tools and resources, I won't be satisfied. Yeah. And you heard it here first. Text Annie Evans, all of your lesson plans. Um, okay. And just, uh, we'll include her number in the show notes, uh, obviously. So <laughs> we hire teachers in the summer to work on learning resources. So if you really, if you've developed something using one of our tools or resources, you might even be able to, you know, work with us this summer and get a little paycheck out of it. We oh. love having people translate that work. Um, this summer, we're really focusing on um, updates to mapping inequality. We're trying to add an extra layer to the map showing even though some smaller cities and towns that weren't part of that homeowners loan corporation, uh, those original maps from the New Deal era, we know that those types of lending practices went on that led to redlining. And so we're trying to use other things like researching racially restrictive covenants. We did that in Charlottesville. That was a project that a local journalist started and UVA students and Charlottesville students got in on it. And eventually people from all over town were helping transcribe these documents. Uh, and th that way we're able to show evidence that redlining went on in smaller cities and towns all across the country. So we're looking for people to help us create new learning resources around those maps this summer. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Annie, thank you so much for joining me today. It was such a pleasure. Thank you, Sam, for having us. And I hope everybody will uh, take a look at our site and our resources and give us some feedback. Let us know how we can help uh, help you make the previously invisible visible in your classroom. Awesome. And listeners, don't forget to follow the Virginia Council for the Social Studies on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is VA Social Studies, all one word. You can also follow me on Twitter. You know, I've said this before. I am... I'm scared of Twitter. I, I don't know about it. It freaks me out a little bit, but still follow me. Why not? It'll be fun. We'll, we'll dive into it together. My handle is Sam underscore Futrell one. And if you like today's episode, subscribe and give us a five-star review as it always helps others find our podcast. Uh, my name is Sam Futrell. This was Annie Evans with new American history, and we will see you next time on content to classroom. Mm -hmm.